Okay, so how's your running going this year, Liz? Um, it, it, well, yeah, I'm kind of not sure right now because um, why is that? Because we're doing this trail running thing, you know, and it's so hard to figure out if you're getting any better at it because I, I don't really feel like I'm getting any faster. Yeah, by the time this airs, we'll have finished the Quebec Mega Trail 50k. Or mm -hmm. the Quebec Mega Trail 50k will have finished us. Mm -hmm. Depending on how it goes. You're not feeling very confident? You're feeling unsure? Well, I, I'm sure I can I can do the 50k. Uh, I mean, I'm just not really sure how fast it will be or how slow it will be or you know how many routes I'll trip over like I like I have you won't just trip over no... any routes <laughs> I just don't know you know like it doesn't you know like when you're training for a marathon you usually you have like a lot of like long run with pace and you can gauge because you know either you're kind of staying the same maybe you're staying the same it's getting easier maybe it's getting easier and you're getting faster which is like mm. the best case scenario but in trail running like we never go to the same trail even when we do like i don't really feel like they're getting any easier and i don't feel like i get any faster and then i do feel like i get further from you and uh you and guillaume and andre so i'm further behind sometimes but then I don't know if that's because you guys are more fit or is it because I'm less fit but I'm doing all the training so I don't know so yeah that's that's kind of how I feel right now you've done like four and a half hour runs so and you've done back-to-backs mm -hmm. and you've done plenty of training on the trails so then it's just a question of will you be rested you know your fitness is there so will you be rested yes you will mm-hmm Will you be hydrated up? Probably. Although we have to be careful because it's warm this week. And then, um, you know, will you, will you be, I guess, will you be um, carbo-loaded or nutrition-wise, will you be ready? Probably. With the stuff we're bringing for the weekend, it'll be, you'll be well carbo-loaded. Yes, except some of that stuff is for after the race. So that won't help me during the race if I eat the carbs after it's the race. It's just kind of a question of pacing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And then whether you manage yourself during the, the run. Yeah, it's just, you know how like in a road race you can have, you know, usually you have like an A goal, but you might also have like a B and a C goal. So mm -hmm. because this is a trail run, I mean, my only goal is like, well, finish. And I don't, I don't know like what, what other kind of goal that oh, I can give myself. you have to finish myself. inside the cutoffs. There are cutoffs. Yes. So that's, that's, that's so, pretty much my so you goal. So you've got a pace goal, which is go a bit quicker than the cutoff times. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, I have a hard time with trail running. I think this is your realm. Yeah. I don't know that I have a, any more sophisticated um, technique. I think I'm just more relaxed doing it. I think that's. The diff mostly the difference between you and I, because if you look at the, say, marathon road running, we're about the same. When it comes to race day, we're, we were very much the same last year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I tend to train a bit faster than you, I think. Um, so when we're, when we're training together, I tend to be a little bit ahead of you. But when it comes to race day, I think your race craft on the road kind of makes up that little difference. So mm -hmm. we, we tend to be about the same. So, so you know, running wise, 
I think you know, we're not that far off. But I think on trails, I tend to be more relaxed. So yeah, sort of, I don't feel oh, very relaxed. Oh, this is fun. Oh, look. I wonder, if that was a, I wonder if that was a snake I've just jumped over. <laughs> um, oh, we're going down this this trail. Oh, it's getting a little bit steep. It's got rocks on it. Okay, let's do a little dance. Short steps and quick turnover. And then you go, oh, let's not trip over. Let's not trip over. <laughs> so you're, you're kind of, one, you're stressing. Two, you're reeling yourself back in. I personally, I think that's that's kind of the big difference. Hmm, it could be. That should give me an advantage at the weekend. Oh, it definitely will. And after that, if it's really hot, uh, that'll give you, or if it's if it's even a little bit hot, that'll give you a, a huge advantage versus me. So. Yeah, I can usually do heat. Technical trails, not so good at that. But heat, heat, I'm okay. I can do heat. <laughs> I did this exact run, the Quebec Mega Trail, which. You know, for people who um, have never done this, um, it's a fabulous, uh, well, well-organized event. And there's, I think there's a 1K, 6K, a 12K or 15K, 15K, mm-hmm. 15K, 25K, 25K, 50K, um, and then 80K. stupid, then stupid. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, there's 80 You might be calling some of the listeners stupid. Sorry, listeners. No, stu- stupid, stupid distances. Not stupid people, courageous people. Or 110K. I think that's yeah. the other distance. And I think this there's year they 100 have 100 miles. miles. Yeah. So there's 160K. So I think it's the first time this year, no? It's not your wide, sandy trails that you find in California and places like that. It's. Oh, that looks like a dream. See, I would love trail if it's trail a bit more was that. Root bound and uh, <laughs> rocks and. Uh, single track and uh, a bit of mud and um and of course there's some ski hills which we're going to go up as well altogether that should be quite challenging so it's not it's not going to be a very fast 50k it's going to be extremely slow it's going to be like more than two times our marathon race pace mm-hmm. so yeah it's going to be a long day out so we'll have to be i think i think my goal is probably just go out be cautious be cautious, 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 and maybe then get over the last big hill, which is at about, is it 26K, 28K, something like that? The mountain. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's where it was, but I think they changed the route since the last time I did it. Yeah, well, uh, anyway, to try and conserve all the time till then, not get into, oh, here's some people, maybe I should tag them, or let's try and stay ahead of X person, like, your partner Andre, for example, mm-hmm. if he decides to go to go brave and go for it, well, I've got to resist trying to go with him. I think. Okay. Good luck with that, because I know you better until I get than over that. the hill, and then if I've got any energy, okay, well, then we'll see after that. You know, the last fifteen, eighteen kilometers. What's that in miles? I don't know, about ten, twelve miles. Yeah, we'll see. So, maybe we should get into the books. I guess we should play the music. Hi, and welcome to the Running Book Reviews podcast, where we review running books to help you decide if you'd like to read the book for yourself. We also hope that listening to us chat about running can help keep you motivated about your own running or maybe inspire you to try something new. My name is Liz, and with my co-host, Alan... 
we're going to do something different for this episode. So because we've read another 10 books and reading these books and talking to the authors uh, really does uh, teach us things and changes us as runners, we're going to go over the last 10 books that we've read and um, just tell you a little bit about the highlights and what we learned, what we liked, maybe sometimes who we think the book is good for. So we hope you enjoy this episode. It's pretty amazing to think we've read we've read 50 books since we started the podcast. Yeah, I wonder, like, I feel kind of smarter after reading all those books. How about you, Alan? I feel more tired, yeah. <laughs> no, I do. I feel, I do actually feel... I feel uh, much more educated about running and able to talk about it uh, in a, a more coherent fashion in terms of, you know, talking about developing training rather than just going out and doing a run. Mm -hmm. It was interesting because I was talking to, I think it was, I think it was you on Saturday when we were running together. I was saying I ran with somebody who's like, well, he's not a, he's not a professional runner, but he's sort of an elite runner who has sponsorships and he has a his own trainer and i was saying to him oh so um you know what are you what's your next training um session and he gave me the training session and i remember reading jack daniels for example you know all training should have a purpose behind it so i said okay that's an interesting session so what's your coach's intention behind that training session and he said, I don't know. He just gives me the, <laughs> just gives me the training and I do it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, okay. And I thought, wow, he's, he's like, you know, a high level runner. And, um, he is, he isn't probably as well educated about running as, as maybe you and I are. Mm -hmm. He hasn't read as many books as we have. Or maybe yeah. he just not interested in that sort of aspect of it. Maybe. I also like there's always the component of you have to trust your coach because, you know, you have to trust your coach, trust your training, because otherwise you go into a race feeling like, you know, you doubt your abilities. So um, maybe it's a little bit part of that. I know that I used to love that dynamic of just like have somebody um, tell me what to do and I do it. Uh, up until I got, you know, overtrained and, uh, you know, it's kind of stopped working for me. Um, then I realized that like there actually has to be two-way communication, not just one-way communication. <laughs> so um, I learned that the hard way. Yeah, I think these days uh, I like to, I've always been the kind of guy who, who likes to know why he's doing something. You know, <laughs> if I was an actor, I would say, oh, give me my motivation for this scene. You know, I'm not an actor. But I like to know why I'm doing what I'm doing. At work, I used to always say, you know, when they used to say, oh, do your work like this, I would say, oh, why is that? And then they say, well, if you do that, you don't get a problem here down the track and go, oh, yeah, well, that's super sensible. So then I'd be very careful to do it like they said. Mm -hmm. Whereas if they said something like, well, that's just the way you do it, do it like that, I'd go, oh, that's dumb. I could do it a different <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah. Not knowing that down the line it might cause problems for somebody else. Well, I, I like to understand why I'm doing stuff. I think I, it helps my motivation. Mm-hmm. That's true. And compliance. It helps me to be sure I do it the way I'm supposed to do it. Yeah. I think a lot of people are like that. So should we talk about the first book? 
One last mile. I guess mile. we should. We're never going to get through the podcast unless we start on the books. No, because yeah. for now we've just been talking about running. So um, that's okay. It's a running podcast. It is. Yeah. But just in case people were tuning in for the books, um, I Not guess like we'll last start with podcast where we talked about shopping. <laughs> one last mile. <laughs> um, shopping is a very important component of running. You know, you have to make sure you have the right gear. It's interestingly, I talked to <laughs> I talked to a couple of people <laughs> about about the last episode when it came out, and they said, and I said, oh, I had to stop Liz talking about shopping, and they said, why did you stop her? Why did we want to hear what she's buying, what she's up to, what she, you know, what gear is she getting, and don't stop her when she wants to talk about shopping for stuff, for running stuff, <laughs> especially. So I got told off for that. So I'm sorry oh, about that. That's okay. I, I guess, you know, you didn't feel like hearing about sports bras and how to properly select the right one. I don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> Save that for another episode. Um, so One Last Mile by Roger Saltzman. Yeah. Okay. So uh, first book. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I think, the, the you know, one of the take home messages for me was how, lo how long it takes to write a book. First of all, this has been his sort of his baby for a long time and he'd done lots of um tries at it and iterations at it and and he's clearly passionate about um the college where he did his own running because he set the his his book his which is sort of a fictional story but it's kind of based on inspired real. by real characters um which he sort of confessed to us a little bit but also all of the geography is is absolutely real and it said it is um his old college brevard college which i think is in north carolina um so he got sort of a very detailed insight into into that which was quite good it was clear that you know when he was writing about the running that he, he'd done the running either that he was a f absolutely fantastic first book author um because when he described, you know, running against people uh, mm -hmm. in track in track type races, I think you you would probably know better than I do. He described it like it really is. Yeah, yeah, he did, and really like this book. It it was almost like reliving my high school running days, like the camaraderie. You know, you have your friends, you see them outside of of running. Um, yeah, so I I. I loved it for that. And yeah, they're just like, you know, the main character finding himself, you know, maybe not working as hard at the beginning until he sort of got called out on his not working hard enough. Not really that he wasn't working hard, but that he, he was almost um, running and wanting really good performances, but without, without like really putting his whole, his whole heart into it. And, you know, it was kind of his journey to, to sort of realize that, that he can, he can achieve great things if he really um, believes in himself and, and puts in all the work and is not afraid to fail. So I don't know, it was a kind of, it was a great story. Um, and also just like you, I mean, I was amazed just how long it took um, Roger to, to finally publish this book. And I mean, that he published a book and he ended up buying it back so that it would be taken off the off the market because for him it wasn't good enough. I mean, that's uh, that's something it's like. Yeah. And it was so, it's so much his 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 baby 
that mm-hmm. um, he couldn't bear for it not to be good enough and wanted to rewrite it rather than move on to another book and just sort of ignore what he'd done. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a, in, an interesting sort of subtext was one of the things we said to him was, oh, it would be nice if you had like either an a, a foreword or an afterword, which kind of explained a little bit about the characters and the things he was telling us on. And so he decided he would write one, and I guess he's going to try and put it into another edi- his next edition. Mm-hmm. And he, he sent it to us for, for commentary. So because we suggested it, he said, oh, it's a good idea. And then he wrote it and sent it to us and we gave some comments back to him. And uh, so we got we got to play um, editor a little bit mm-hmm. um, for his next edition, which was quite cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, run like a pro. Did you have anything else about uh, One Last Mile? Well, you're moving me on here. Uh, the, only thing, well, the only thing from One Last Mile was uh, probably... Um, Will there be a sequel, and will yeah. we find out what what happens afterwards? I really, I really want a sequel, but I think um, Roger doesn't really want to write a sequel, yeah, I <laughs> and I don't it, blame I suspect him. He feels it'll take him, you know, five years to write it before he's happy with it. So mm-hmm. he's very much uh, a student of uh, doing it correctly to the best of his ability. So yeah, we might not see that. It would be nice to see uh, it uh, Mary in the uh, in the story go on to greater things, maybe. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Run like a pro. Even, Even if, if you're, you're slow. slow. <laughs> uh, Matt Fitzgerald and Ben Rosario. Two great guys, first of all. It was like, it was talking with them. It was just like you were talking with your buddies. They're so, they're so easy to talk to. You know, Matt's written so many books, and I guess Ben's coached so many athletes that, you know, his communication skills are superb. So it was a lot of fun just chatting with them. Mm-hmm. I, I think the book really takes Matt's previous book, Running the Dream, not Matt's previous book, Matt's previous, previous book. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, there was something in between. Comeback quotient, just in case <laughs> you'd forgotten. Um so it takes that and uh, takes where he, where he was training with uh, the elite hooker, Northern Arizona elite hooker team. And it takes all the learning he got from that. And then he puts his head together with Ben and produces really an advice book, how to put all that learning into action, irrespective of whether you're an elite runner or not, because mm-hmm. there are certain behavior modes. Okay, you can't run as fast as the elites, but you can plan as well as the elites. You can eat as well as the the, the elites. You can prepare yourself. Um, you can pace yourself in the way that elites go about pacing. You just can't do the same pace as them, mm-hmm. um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that that was fantastic. I think I think he sort of took running the dream, um, and then took his his knowledge of eighty twenty uh, training. That's another one of his books. And and then probably it's Ben Rosario who applied to the coaching advice, doing your intensities in sh- sort of shorter, more frequent bursts uh, mm-hmm. into the training. Uh, he gave us some advice, you know, about doing repeats and being able to recover. Just running your intervals um, or running your paces, whatever the paces are, whether it's marathon pace at the fitness you're at and not at the fitness that you want to be at. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was like from that interview, that was the kind of the key thing that I'm trying to remember for when we start marathon training, that 
Um, obviously, if we've never done a sub three hour marathon, you know, 4.15 per kilometer pace is not currently our marathon pace. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, um, that's a big learning that we've got from from probably last year's experience. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of wondering at which point are we going to know that it's time to Im- like increase our pace? You know, that's kind of just my, I mean, I know we can do uh, races to see where we're at and those kinds of things, but uh, yeah, it's just because I, because I know like usually marathon training um, tends to just feel harder as I'm going along. So I like, I don't know at what point it's going to feel like the paces are easy and that I should increase the paces. So, but I guess we'll find out. I did like, I did like, uh, you know, the, that every kind of every section had like Matt's sort of sciency, you know, data kind of like, this is how it is. Mm-hmm. And then it always finished with like Ben's uh, sort of coaching input, like from his experience and he'll have examples and um, I like how he like gave sort of his his favorite kind of workout sample workout for whatever distance um, you're training for, like uh, those 10K. And in some cases, those workouts sounded uh, pretty long and uh, pretty hard. But I guess, um, you know, Hoken as elite are I think one of the elite. things about the training programs that they had in the back of the book at the end to kind of like pull it all together was that um, the training programs looked quite varied. I think one of the things that we were a bit concerned about with respect to the advanced marathon program that we did was that it didn't have a lot of variation in it and there was a lot of miles at at a, a fairly standard pace. So we're doing lots and lots of miles at medium long run pace. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of grinds down your muscles because you're probably just doing the single pace all the time and then you you either get strong or you get fatigued. Um, yeah. But also you can get bored. There's a lot to be said for coming into a, a training program and going, oh, this looks interesting. How's this going to work? Yeah. Um, and and I, I found reading, the looking at the training programs in um, Run Like a Pro, I got a little bit more of that where I was saying, oh, what's this? Mm-hmm. Ooh, look, there's a big long sequence of do some at this pace, then some easy, then some at a different pace, then easy. And it, it looked, some people might find that intimidating in terms of complex, but mm-hmm. if you've got to do the program, it's kind of fun because you're changing up all the time. Yeah. So my thing is like, I don't really mind um, variety, like different trainings with different components and stuff. It doesn't, the complexity doesn't really scare me, but one thing that I like, um, and this is the one thing that I liked about the Hansen's um, marathon plan, which was like the first book we ever Mm -hmm. made a podcast episode about. What I really liked about that book was that there was one workout a week that was the same all the time. And so you could almost like, it was almost like a gauge of fitness. So they would have the the, um, sort of like the marathon pace uh, midweek, I guess, kind of like a medium long run. It was, you know, anywhere from, uh, I think, I don't remember what, uh, how many kilometers. I think you started at 10 kilometers and worked your way up to 16 or something, but for three weeks, it would be the same. So let's say you were at 10 kilometers at marathon pace would be 10 kilometers this week, 10 kilometers next week, 10 kilometers a week after 
then you would switch. But I found like during those three weeks, like I really was able to sort of see a progression because the first week it would yeah. feel hard. Second week, it would feel hard, but manageable. Third week, it would be like, okay, I know how to do this, you know, like, yeah, so it kind it of gave me confidence. Step up. Yeah. Then it would step up. And it was so, always that, it was always that next step that was always sort of intimidating. You go, oh, mm-hmm. I've got to do an extra 2K at that pace. Yeah. Yeah. The first, the first week was tough. And then by the time you got to the third week, it was doable. What I'm trying to say is just that I kind of like similar workouts because so you can I can yourself. sort of see, yeah, I can sort of yeah. see if I'm, you know, am I finding it easier? Like, am I getting faster? Yeah. Um, for me, that gives me confidence. And I know like some people, they, they'd rather have like a lot of variety in their workouts, but um, I think I do pretty well in boring environments so you know I'm, I'm good with boring good with boring and predictable <laughs> boring and predictable <laughs> i'm not gonna go there uh, moving on uh, <laughs> so it'll be it'll be good to see uh to see matt again and well he's uh, I've now tagged matt as a regular on our show because he writes lots of books and uh we'll be checking in with him um, if you're if you're listening, Matt, I hope it's going well in terms of your recovery from long haul COVID. Um, I know you've had a massive haul from that point of view. Um, I think his next book's going to be about pacing, how to pace. Oh, that would that'll be useful. Yeah. Yeah. We should check his website, like just in case he hasn't released another book in like just the last. In case three he months. sneaked the book out when we haven't been watching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So book number three. Race Across America by Charles Kastner. What have you got to say about this, Liz? I have to say that this Race Across America was amazing. I mean, the story and like I had no idea there was this crazy ultra running culture like way back in 1928 in the U.S. And yeah, I mean, for me, I guess I... I guess like we know because we've read several books about ultra running now that, you know, ultra running uh, existed like, you know, when I was a kid and didn't know about it, like in the eighties and stuff. So there were people ultra running, but um, I don't know, I guess in my head, I, I always feel like ultra running is recent just because it's exploded recently, but yeah, but, and then to read that, that somebody organized a foot race in 1928 that goes all across the United yeah. States from the West Coast to the East Coast. Um, I mean, the, I don't know. That was just uh, eye-opening. Um, also, the amount of of research that went into this book because there was no internet back then. So, like, you know, Charles had to read all these uh, newspapers on microfiche at the library yeah it's almost in every town a running book and a history book isn't it yeah and i guess also i you know it was eye-opening for me because i had no idea that blacks were so it was so different the way that they were treated based on which state they lived in yeah i had i had no idea i mean you know i know that america has uh kind of a bad history with uh, the way they've treated them but just the the fact that you know Eddie Gardner was able to be uh, an amateur racer um in one state and be well known and you know 
just applauded by everybody and he could race against like white athletes and black athletes and it didn't matter. And then he runs down to the, those Jim Crow states and was pretty much fearing for his life at some point. Yeah, because being of threatened things. and yeah. told that, he, uh, that if he valued his life, he shouldn't try to uh, overtake any of the white runners, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's totally amazing when you think about where we are now and that's not perfect, but that this guy was running and maybe his grandfather was actually a slave from his history point of view. So he's not, mm-hmm. it's not that far since in the twenties since slavery and then the sort of vilification that he had as he ran through uh, some of the places. Can you imagine you're, I think I said at the time on the podcast, you know, you're, you're running the marathon, you need everybody cheering for you. Could you imagine if everybody at Boston, instead of cheering for you, was like threatening you or booing you or imagine how demotivating that would be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these guys are running in horrendous conditions with no equipment and no nutrition because they, they had no money. Yeah. They had no way of really feeding themselves properly. The race organizer wasn't very good at organizing. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like a cir- traveling circus, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it seemed like everything that he tried to organize kind of fell apart before it happened. Yeah. So, yeah, the poor runners, they were just running and, um, yeah, just getting more and more depleted as they went. I'm actually kind of excited to see if um, if in 2028 somebody's going to recreate this this race. Yeah, wasn't there some talk about that? The yeah. The possibility of it. Yeah, because it'll be the 100-year anniversary. Interesting. Maybe we'll have another book, Race Across America, the sequel. <laughs> um, but they did have two races, of course, because they did one from, um, was it 1928? They did. They ran from LA to New York, and then the year after they ran back the other way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some people did it both races. Yeah, they did. I'm really sad that uh, Eddie Gardner didn't didn't win anything. Didn't win. Yeah. Didn't win. Yeah. He was really like the hero of the story. I think he was. Yeah. And I, I would have been. Yeah, I would have been really happy if he would just uh, if he would just prove all those white people wrong. <laughs> I, th- I think the heroics as well were, you know, that he kind of decided that when they ran through the southern Jim Crow states where blacks didn't have so many rights that he was going to lead the race and he was going to win the stages that were on through there through there and he made a special effort rather than to hide he made mm-hmm. a special effort to get out front and also an interesting thing was the fact that all his fellow runners um, although they came from all walks of life and everybody treated each other as an equal person mm-hmm. um, so yep. there, there was no prejudice or or racism or within the races amongst the races they were like bound by their effort together yeah which has a lot to say for running as a sport that maybe you know everybody should get into uh some sort of communal thing with people of different some communal endeavor with people of different races and creeds and then they see them for what they are which is all people at the end of the day i guess i guess that's kind of the thing that i really liked. Um, Even when I was a kid, like I had tried several sports and I found running to be like the most inclusive because, you know, regardless of your 
ability, you could enter races. Like, whereas I had done swimming as well and you needed standards to um, be able to race because, um, well, maybe I, it might have to just do with the fact that like the pool is only so big and the yeah, day is only, only so long. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can't have these like, you know, slow swimmers competing because they're going to, you know, take up, I don't know, half the day. So maybe it's that, but, you know, I just found that uh, when I joined a running team, I was able to compete and I was able to compete like pretty early on. Whereas swimming, I had swum for several years, but I, I ha- didn't learn how to swim like as a, as a, as a toddler, you know, like a lot of swimmers, they Mm -hmm. learn to swim when they're like three. Um, I only learned to swim when I was like, I don't know, eight or 10 years old. So, um, so when I was in a swim team in high school, uh, I wasn't, you know, I just wasn't at the level that I had to be for racing. And then I went, you know, I had started running when I was maybe 14 and I started racing and, and I was allowed to race in whatever distance I wanted. Especially in mass races, of course, anybody can. Um, I, I got mm-hmm. into cross country uh, at school. You know, I probably wasn't quick enough. I wasn't quick enough for like track teams because, you know, you could only put two or three people in and I couldn't get into that two or three people um, in my school. But they would take anybody who would put their hand up to run cross country because, uh, you know, they'd have an A team which had 10 people in it or seven people mm-hmm. in it then they have a b squad and a c squad and they would just keep piling them in i guess you came from a, a place where running was more um, popular because uh, in high school like there were probably three runners in the whole school <laughs> so um, yeah i guess none of us were runners yeah. we just got you know you, you could you're you can run all right i've seen you going up and down the uh, soccer field <laughs> uh you're on the cross-country team there's a meet next week <laughs> oh, okay. I guess they had to find those 10, 10 people yeah. somewhere. <laughs> we didn't do training. We just, all we played was soccer, football, what mm-hmm. we called it in England. And everybody was fit through that. And uh, then you go and run for the, run for the cross country team. You wouldn't, you wouldn't tra- do training with, with cross country. Yeah. All that to say that I find running to be, to be more inclusive than a lot of other sports. And the barrier to entry is, you know, not not so high, like in terms of costs and things, usually. Yeah, and the barrier to entry wasn't that high to race across America, but um, uh, there was what was it five thousand? Was it five thousand pounds for the winner in nineteen twenty eight? Which was was that the prize? I can't remember what the uh, prize was. Now. It was twenty five thousand dollars US. Okay. Yep. Which um. Which back in those days could set you up for, for life yeah, basically. Could buy you a house and a business or whatever. Yeah, so it was a bit like winning the lottery, I guess, except you yeah. had more control over it. So there were quite a few people who just viewed that as their their only way to really succeed financially in life is to win this race. So they were literally running for their life. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the people. I guess that's that's why the stories were so good about the people. It mm. was just like, you know, all these people that just had so much hope for their future and they were just entering this race because it was accessible and there was, you know, this pretty substantial prize at the end. What was nice as well was that um you got invest I got invested in these characters and then you'd see the photographs from the newspapers because 
Charles Kastner had done all this research. So you'd see an actual real photograph from the 1920s of Eddie Gardner, for example, mm -hmm. or one of the other competitors, you know, as they were coming into some town that had sponsored that leg and so got the, got to have the finishing line in their town, etc. I quite like the story about all the ladies, the troop of dancing girls that he had. Um, oh, yeah. The organizer had set up as well. Yeah. It was supposed to be the entertainment, but it sounded like they were doing uh, a lot more than just simple entertainment, mm -hmm. providing all kinds of services. Yeah. It was a little bit like a traveling circus, that yeah. whole organization. <laughs> and eventually, I think um, they they all kind of disbanded towards the end because they weren't getting paid. So the organizer couldn't, uh, couldn't yeah. pay them. And I was like, okay, well, the runners will just run. <laughs> People were having their shoes repaired uh, on the side of the road while they were running so they could keep running because there were no sports shoes. They were just getting running repairs done to their shoes and keep on going mm -hmm. or they wouldn't finish in time so that they'd, they'd, they'd then get permission to go back to where they stopped and run the extra distance the next that day. must have been so discouraging yeah <laughs> great story though mm -hmm. um and i guess our book number four moves on to a, a, a different type of organized run much shorter and much more modern mm -hmm. could have happened at park run by simon jones yeah, I didn't know much about Park Run before this. I had heard it the existed. term. Yeah. Mm -hmm. See, and and yeah, I would have thought that maybe you would have heard of it more because like you still have family in the Well, I knew a bit okay. about Park Run, but I didn't really know the details of it. I knew that, you know, some of my relatives in the UK would say, Oh, there's a park run or I did a park run. Over in North America we think, oh, that means that, that must be their version for they went for a run in the park. Yeah. When in fact yeah, it's that's... an organized event. It's a very specific. Um, yeah, it has to be 5K and it, it's an organization and like they are supremely well organized and it's like a well-oiled machine from from what Simon was telling us. I Like, you know, you, you get there, you have this big crowd of runners in the park with all these volunteers that somehow know exactly what they should be doing and where to place the cones, people run and then everything gets like packed up as if nothing had happened and all that like, I don't know, before 10 a.m. or something. And apparently all the park runs, they happen at the same time of the day, which like 9 a.m. Yeah, that's I mean, that to me is amazing. Just like to, or that degree of organization and, you know, smoothness. Um and the fact that it happens in all kinds of parks across the world, I guess, because now it's worldwide. Um, and, and that they even think of things like, like having defibrillators just in case, you know, like you have to have, uh, yes, safety, they have safety, uh, safety precautions. Yeah. Yeah. And they have a person who's responsible for telling all the newbies who've never done it before, how it works mm -hmm. and what they have to do. I mean, it kind of makes you wish that the rest of society worked as well as Park Run does, because it's, it's like a, it's amazing. It's just like the most amazing display of cooperation. But yeah, I, I was I've in the UK after a little, a little while after this. We did this book. 
I was running in Portugal and then I went to the UK to see family. And so what I did, I was there over a weekend. So I went and found the local park run and ran the park run, which was kind of cool. So I got to experience all the things that Simon Jones was telling us about. Mm-hmm. Um, and did you go to the one in Wycombe Rye? I didn't go to Wycombe Rye. <laughs> or, or, or for people who need to actually understand the English, Wycombe Rye, which we made a big deal at the time about the fact that you thought it was actually pronounced Wycombe because mm-hmm. that's how it's spelt. Mm-hmm. Um no, I didn't go there, but uh, I went to one of the local park runs where I was staying on, on the Saturday morning, and uh, it was actually in a forest, and there was quite wow. a few hills. It was really well organized, and it went off really well. It was super fun, just just like Simon explained it to us, basically. Yeah. Um, in his book, what he did was really, the book was, I think, a product of COVID, where he wasn't able to do his, uh, his Wickham Rye uh, park yeah. organization. And he really missed it. Yeah, and he missed it. So he wrote a whole series of sort of little anecdotal stories that were based around Parkrun, but purely fictional and a bit of a comedy, really, in terms of. Yeah, that's why it's called Could Have Happened. Could Have Park Happened, Run. yeah. Yeah, because it didn't actually happen, but it could have, which is quite, kind of fun. Yeah, and very easy to read as a as a, as a, as a book. Small yeah, book. and one story would you could read one story in a few minutes so mm-hmm. and you really don't have to have ever participated in park run to read the stories because they're just kind of like cute and fun and entertaining and i guess yeah. a lot of them sort of describe just like the quirkiness of runners in general so <laughs> so um yeah you don't have to it, it it's you know, the title of the book is could have happened at park run, but actually, you know, it could have happened at any run. Most of those things, except for the volunteer stories and stuff. Yeah. Could have happened anywhere. A few runners get together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was fun. Should we um, move okay, on to on. runners world meals on the run, which um, doesn't really have one author because the recipes came from everywhere. Uh, but edited by Joanna Sayago Golub. Hopefully, I'm saying the well, that was a very good name. pronunciation. Thanks. Better than uh, Wycombe Rye, right? Yes, much better. <laughs> um, this was interesting for us because it's kind of a little bit of de- departure from any of the books that we've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, so we effectively are doing a recipe book at this point. It just happens that it's a recipe book that comes from Runner's World. If you get the magazines, there are always recipes in them. So I thought, well, this might be a good, this might be a good um, excuse in many ways um, to get some food. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you actually did really well with that book. I did well because of my dear wife. Thank mm-hmm. you, Melanie, if you're listening to the podcast, because I showed her the book and she's always looking for new things to cook. So she thought, oh, I'll try this. I'll try this. And she tried a few of the more edgy uh, recipes some of the more mainstream ones as well. So I probably had about four or five things out of the book, which was, for me, a big win. Mm-hmm. As I explained at the time, I tend to be the person who eats rather than the person who cooks, if I can get away with it. Um, yeah. And there were some great things in there. The book itself is a fantastically uh, presented book, I think. It is. Lots of big uh, color photos and everything. Yeah. You you flick through the pages and you get hungry. Because yes. You go, ooh, that looks nice. 
Ooh, yeah. Oh, no, that one looks better. Oh, no, that one looks even better. And that can help you. That can help you decide which one you're going to try to make. Yeah, it can. You know, sometimes, sometimes if you see it, you can kind of picture what it might taste like after reading the ingredients, off, of course. But I guess these days as runners, a little bit where we tend to be in the, okay, here's some food. Well, what's it got in it? And, you know, how's it made? And what's on the label? So this is good because um, you're making it yourself. But some of the recipes, well, the ingredients were not super easy to find. Like, yeah, I think that was your major criticism. Yeah, that was my major, I which think, is, I guess it's not a bad criticism. I mean, I guess I'm, it depends where you My live. view is maybe a, it's sort of a West Coast USA type of recipe book, maybe, and it's got the mm -hmm. more common things that you would find there versus over here where we are on the East Coast uh, in mm -hmm. Canada. Well, we're not even on the on the coast, are we, in Montreal? So, yeah, but, you know, what it what it did was you'd, you'd make, you'd see this wonderful meal and you'd know that it'd be good for you as a runner because it's mm -hmm. in the runner's book. Um, yeah. And they were even coded up so that you could, if you went, well, you know what I need to do is I need to carb load before a, before a heavy training session. It would actually code up the recipes that were good for that. Or, ah, oh, I need to recover. I need a recovery meal. They would code up then the, what, it, what the meals were giving you. So not mm -hmm. only did you know that they would be good from a running perspective because they were in the book, but they would actually then categorize them for you so you knew, you know, what was good for which bits of your training program. Yeah. And they had a whole page full of omelets. So like, you know, if you're looking for a kind of like a, a breakfast uh, protein alternative, I mean, you can just kind of change up the flavoring of your omelet. And they had, you know, they proposed the whole, uh, I think it was like uh, both pages kind of like laid out on, and they, on and they both had a sides. Whole page or section of smoothies as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, recovery smoothies, energy, uh, immune type smoothies, carb loading smoothies. So that was pretty good too. And everything was supposed to be um, 30 minutes. Mm hmm. We we had a big not... criticism of the thirty minutes. I think. <laughs> yeah, we found that that it's thirty minutes. Like, but if you had thought of making that dish in the morning, because in certain like in certain cases, I don't remember what it was. There was something you had to soak ahead of time. Yeah, so or, the thirty minutes um, doesn't include or marinate sort of or something. No, it yeah. doesn't. So it's like yes, it's thirty minutes to cook. But you have to think, you have to know that you're going to make that later because you actually have to, uh, I don't know, soak the beans or I don't remember what it was exactly that um, that required the prep or like marinade the meat or whatever. So yeah, cooking it was fine, but you know, you had to prepare it in the morning. <laughs> so so that, that was, that was the criticism of the 30 minutes, but I mean, overall it was, it was a, it was a good, good book full of ideas. Yeah, I think, I think it was. I was I was sort of a little more skeptical than you. I think you've been pushing to sort of get this book into the podcast uh, cycle for a while, and I was like, oh, no. But when we did it, uh, I thought it was really good. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think maybe we should go for another recipe book somewhere down the line? I don't know. I'm very intrigued by Shalane Flanagan's whole set of recipe books. Like, yeah, like because she. She always talks about these superhero muffins, and um, I guess I 
follow her but on just, Instagram. You just want to get into the superhero muffins. I, I want I want to try these superhero muffins because I just like she talks about them all the time, and I think I think it's not always the same ingredients. I think she's got several different kinds of superhero muffins, and I'm just kind of wondering if they'll make me feel like a superhero after I eat them. Um, so yeah, I, I'm kind of intrigued by, by her cookbook. Also, everything looks so good when when she makes it. I guess that's Instagram for you, right? But yeah. but she's got several cookbooks, so that's she does not now just a one off. Yeah, yeah. You, you know the Hulk is is a superhero, so you maybe oh, the muffins green, will make no? you go all green and bulky. <laughs> so um, I don't know. Maybe maybe we can like get some input from the listeners if. If you think we should do more recipe books, like send us a message on Instagram. I wasn't thinking of a whole series, but. (laughs) Okay, fine. If if you think we should do like one other recipe book, which one would it be? And do you think we should do it? So definitely let us know. Right. And Liz will give you a prize for the winning winning, uh, entry. Write in. I was showing my age. Nobody writes in anymore, do they? I guess they're writing. I mean. Writing to send you Still a message. Still counts, does it? I think. Yeah. I think message so. in doesn't sound right, does it? Tweet. Yeah, in. but we don't want we don't want false advertising. Well, what kind of prize are we giving away? I don't know. It's your problem. You know. I've just said you. <laughs> <laughs> I see how this works now. <laughs> we'll give you a copy of a book that Liz doesn't want anymore. <laughs> I I like all books. How about I give away a copy of one of your books that you don't know? Let's see what you have in the... Uh, Stop looking on my bookshelf case. past my shoulder on the video. Oh, then. look at that. Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe I can give that one away. Yeah, I, I somewhere I have two copies of Endure by Alex Hutchinson. So, yeah, we could do that if you want. We haven't even That's covered that on the on the podcast yet. We haven't. We need to get on that. We're getting off the subject here. Okay. Yeah. So, you can cut um, that part out because um we don't want to give away all the books we have in the pipeline, do we? I don't know. What can we give away as a prize? I don't know. We'll have to think about it. A free training program from Liz. <laughs> <laughs> I I love how you volunteer me for all these things. <laughs> You with all that time available. <laughs> Meanwhile, Alan is the we one you want. You, He's retired. <laughs> we can give you. He'll color code uh, your training program for we you. We give you a free <laughs> meal cooked from Meals on the Run by Liz. <laughs> You'll just have to fly to Montreal. So, if you'd like us to do more recipe books, <laughs> send us a message and let us know, and we'll certainly be listening to you. And we may or may not give you a prize, um, depending <laughs> on whether we can think of something appropriate and whether Liz is prepared to cook it or not. Okay, moving on, moving on. Okay, next one. Marathon, the ultimate training guide by Hal Higdon. Ah, serious stuff. Yeah, okay. another training book because like runners love training books, I think. Yeah, um, one of the things I've noticed is that um, I look at our stats on the um on the podcast, and wh- whenever we do a training book, we seem to get more hits, mm-hmm. more people. So, you know, you guys out there, you're always interested in the next training book and reading about the next piece of training. It seems to get slightly more 
slightly more uptick and also mm-hmm. it gets more hits once it's kind of gone by and gone gone into ancient history it gets more hits than the other ones so people who are looking down the back catalog tend to go for the training the training uh, books which i understand it fits our type a personalities very well well we just want to we want we want to get the next secret recipe for training exactly exactly and um yeah hal higdon i mean not only does he does he have a marathon training bible almost because he covers like a wide range of topics in this book um not not in you know not in a lot of detail but like he'll he talks about everything a little bit about you know lifestyle as well because if you want to be if you want to get better then you do need to you know you do need to sleep enough and eat enough and uh and all those other things that we like to ignore um but i was really impressed with how dedicated he is to the running community Mm -hmm. this was his fourth edition fifth i think fifth edition yeah but not only does he have has he like updated his book for a fifth time but he's got a whole whole website full of free, free information he's super dedicated to to the running community to provide you know information about training and what's kind of really impressive is also he's even thinking of well when he won't be able to to upkeep all all his um like his website he's you know he has um hired his family members to take care of like uh instagram for him and uh yeah he calls them team hal yeah yeah yeah, which is amazing i mean i think that's great it's he's kind of built an empire almost and you know it means that the information will be there for for decades yeah and it's getting revised modernized versus um you know current thinking when Mm -hmm. when things move ahead you know concerning rest and recovery strength training uh, nutrition advances he builds them in and makes a new edition Mm -hmm. i thought when when we got the book i thought before i looked at it i thought oh i'm going to look at it i'm going to look at probably an an older training book but it didn't present like that at all. It presented me just like a fresh, modern, thorough, up-to-date um, training because it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so he doesn't just like slap a new cover on it and then put it out as a new edition, constantly updating uh, with new knowledge. And then talking with him, he's just got a wealth of experience, mm-hmm. massive amount of experience because he's been at the high levels of running for such a long time either as a runner himself or as a coach. So he's got the experience of the running experiences as well as the coaching and uh, learning uh, over the years. So he's sort of a a complete package from that point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he still tries to keep it simple. So, and so I kind of, I was sort of pleasantly surprised on all fronts with uh, Hal Higdon's marathon training manual. You know, he starts off with, well, Here's my advice. Start slow. Mm-hmm. And you go, yeah. well, that's wise advice. But then it comes up again as you get into more detail. I said, remember, he actually I told gives, you start slow. He actually gives that advice like several, several times. times. Yeah, yeah, which I, I guess, you know, runners need to hear that. Um, and he, he also uh, shows us that um, 
you can run a pretty fast marathon even with walk breaks. Yeah. Because yeah, he does advocate. shocking how quick he, some people yeah. have done that. And it kind of makes sense. Uh, like he was saying, well, you know, sometimes if you, let's say you walk through the aid stations, well, you actually mm. get to drink your fluid instead of yeah. um, dribbling it down your shirt. Uh, uh, that's something that I've said to people who are asking for marathon training or, um, advice if they're doing the first marathon or should I run through the stations it's much better to walk and get a good drink than it is you know lose three seconds than it is to try to jog through um choke yourself because you're gagging on your drink or spilling mm -hmm. your drink so you know that's that's something that hal and i have in common having said that i don't tend to walk through the drink stations tend to no run. me neither yeah yeah partly because i'm worried yeah partly because i'm worried of, of you know, that I won't be able to make up that lost time. Um, and because of our current goal, it's, you know, it's pretty aggressive. So every second counts for me. <laughs> I think we've, you know, we've worked out a technique. We've got, we're, we're sort of experienced marathon runners. Mm -hmm. Actually, days. last marathon, I, I had a hydration vest and it was mostly because um, the race was not providing cups, I think. Uh, I think they were... They weren't giving you cups. Ah, uh, okay. They weren't giving them. Yeah. yeah. So, you, yeah. So, what I had done was bring. They had cups my own on bottle. the table, but you had to take your own. So. Right. That was it. Yeah. And so I was worried that I wouldn't be able to grab them, so mm. I had worn my hydration vest and just had like a one five hundred ml bottle of um of Morton drink in it. And, um, and I found that like, first of all, it was easy to drink out of a bottle and, um, I did it more consistently. And I'm kind of wondering if maybe that shouldn't be my strategy for the next time as well. Especially cause we're going to go in October. So there'll be no heat issue in terms of wearing the vest. Mm -hmm. It doesn't wear that much. Yeah. Anyway, we have time to think about it mm. for sure. I'll be yeah, training another with it. thing to think about. Another thing to think yeah, about. Yeah, for sure we'll be training with those vests. Yeah. So. Yeah, because we don't have anybody giving us cups of water on our training runs. Yeah, certainly uh, the nutrition on the run is is something that, you know, is is a harder thing to do, I think. Mm -hmm. Drinking, I think I've got that worked out, and swallowing uh, swallowing water is easy. But getting uh, getting food in and keeping it in and getting enough of it down quickly enough. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Experimented a little bit. um last year and almost choked myself to death on <laughs> um so we some discovered... of the crazy things i was trying to eat yeah so oatmeal quaker bars maybe not the best thing when your mouth is dry and pasty no, right alan no it doesn't work it's yeah. great for trails it's good for trails you know yeah but uh when you're running at three hour marathon pace and trying to eat that and breathe at the same time um <laughs> Difficult. doesn't always work yeah so um yeah so overall how how higdon's um ultimate training guide is uh is a good book i think for anybody that's uh even going to run your first marathon because it's uh you know he does touch on all the subjects and he's got plans for for beginners and more experienced runners so good book yeah i i agree wholeheartedly it's a it's a good one to have for, as a reference that you can use 
you know, for all kinds of running reasons. So I guess the next book that we we did was um, another training book. So we had the back-to-back training books, Daniel's Running Formula, fourth edition by Jack Daniels. Yeah, this is one that we've been trying to get to for a while. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we've been Because it's sort of a classic. Everyone talks about Jack Daniels. It's like one of the foundation books. Yeah. And uh, I'd never read the book. I just heard lots about it from other people who said, oh, in Jack Daniels, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Okay, well, let's read the book. And to be honest, because I've heard so much about it, I had in my mind, I had this sort of image that it was going to be like, because people talk about it as being the Bible sometimes. I had images of it being a really thick, dusty sort of (laughs) huge book with tiny little writing in it because, you know, like an old Bible sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Cramming all the information into... Yeah, uh, but in fact, it's not at all. It's pretty easy to read and well laid out and... Well, it was a human human kinetics book, and they tend to all kind of have like nice uh, glossy pages yeah, with do, color photos. Yeah, yeah. Um, this one is a is a is a geeky runner's dream because it's got a lot of tables and charts for paces uh, for racing and um, and training. Uh, so, like like you know, the first thing is you have to learn about what V dot is and how to look it up. Yeah, and I think that was the key thing from the book for me. Yeah. Was, was, you know, V dot rather than VO2 max, which for people who, for people who haven't listened to our podcast on Jack Daniels, um, V dot is basically taking VO2 max and then putting it into a, a practical, you know, not, not what you can do in terms of oxygen, but what you can do in terms of running with the oxygen. Yeah. So race times. Yeah, because in the past, I had just kind of seen um, the VDOT charts online and without reading the book, like, you know, you kind of know that VDOT is sort of the abbreviation for VO2 max. And so I figured um, I would take like the VO2 max uh, reading on my Garmin and (laughs) see what that gives me. But uh, yeah, it would give me like kind of unrealistic paces because I think Garmin really overestimates my VO2 max. Um, what does Garmin so, see a VO2 max is, Liz? Okay, so right at the moment. Oh, you got your Garmin on. I got my Garmin on. You're just it off there, are you? Yeah, hold on. Let me let me tell you. Well, right now it's telling me that my training status is unproductive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my Garmin's been telling me that now for the last 10 days in a row, I think. Uh, my VO2 max is 54. Ooh. Yeah, but see, my V dot is... Um, I think it was 53 based yeah. on my 5k time that I yeah. did, um, you know, earlier in the season. Yeah. My watch is currently telling me that my VO2 max is 52. Um, okay. See already but, that's strange. Like it overestimates mine for but sure. Sometimes it tells me it's 56. Mm, um, me too. It doesn't sound like a big difference, but in fact, if you look at training, training paces, the difference between and sometimes my um vo2 max from my watch goes down to 50 and i've tended to ignore it because it doesn't really help because mm-hmm. it's so variable but it, we've done a few um sort of 5k time trials uh, this year um so i've been able to get a v dot um from jack daniel's tables and i think my v dot is 53.5 
which is interesting because if you look at Jack Daniel's tables with a V dot of 53, uh, that he says that with the adequate training, you're going to run a marathon in three hours and one minute. Mm-hmm. Yes, that would be very disappointing, wouldn't if it? You, <laughs> if, you have a, if you have a V dot of 54 and you do the right training, you should be able to run a marathon in two hours, 59. Mm. Darn. And currently... Um, my V dots in between those. What what that all that tells me really is that um, it's possible still to run the sub three. That's that's all we care about, right, Alan? Yeah. 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 What we want is a, is is there is it possible? Yeah. Answer is yes. There is there is a world. There exists a world where it's possible. So. Mm-hmm. On to the I training. liked I liked the um the so there there's like a large training section in the back with plans that are. F- vary from like 800 meter training to all the way to like uh, you know ultra distance training yeah. and I, I like that it was um you know it was nice to have a book that uh, also plans for track i guess i guess that's my perspective because i did some track races in the winter so it's kind of nice to have a plan for that if ever yeah. i wanted to to follow something like for 1500 meters training or something like that yeah, 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 for like 15 if I wanted to do, uh, I don't know, like next spring, uh, 1,500 meters outdoor season. Why would you do that when you could go and do a trail season? Well, that's exactly why I'm trying to find an excuse not to do a trail season. <laughs> yeah, from a track point of view, um, as, a, as a sort of less focused track person, um, an interesting thing that I found and that I learned out of out of uh, Jack Daniel's book was that you know you can take your V dot number and then look at your your training program if you've got like uh, 600 meter reps for example you can then look at what you should be training at those to do those reps at so then you can see what's an appropriate time which I guess is useful for us because our coach doesn't always like prescribe a time or a pace for the intervals it's just like okay, today we're doing like five times 800. Yeah, and so what you do is you try to run them as hard as you can. Well, maybe I'm a masochist, I don't know. Yeah, but, maybe, yeah. I think you are. <laughs> no, what I would usually do is I would try and remember when I was when I was running with my previous team what that kind of workout, what pace that would be in. Uh, and then that's kind of what I would run. So like, you know, I know 800s usually we're probably running them at 5k pace. So that's what I would try and do is 5k pace. But yeah, again, it's nice to have some kind of like, you know, chart with guidelines on paces. Well, for me, it's a, it's totally new learning. So sort of run the, run the reps and go, okay, I'm doing this time. Actually, I'm doing quite a bit quicker than I probably should for this training. If I'm going to do, you know, a whole week's worth of training, uh, maybe I should back off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Or but if you never you're having do. a lazy day, you should try a bit harder. Well, I never back off. Mm-mm. You're always kind of running like it. Like yesterday was a perfect example. You said you said, "Oh, well, we're tapering for a race, so I'm going to take these easy." But I mean, you were running your 400 meters probably under 80 seconds. Some of them, yes. Yeah, it's definitely not your 5k pace. No, but it was fun. Mm, that's, I had fun. I guess that's, that's what counts. That's what counts. 
So who's the book good for? I think it's, I think it's good for. I think it's good for the people that liked advanced marathoning or Hansen's marathon method. I think it's good for people who are interested in advancing their training or interested in learning how to train. Mm -hmm. Uh, You talked about the, the part two of the book. I actually like part one of the book, which was how to understand how the things put together. I mean, I spoke earlier about I need to understand why I'm doing something. And mm-hmm. uh, Jack Daniels actually does a great job of giving you the background, um, which is steeped in science. In fact, so much science sometimes that you go, okay, I believe you. Let's move on. Um, but also in principles. So, you know, he has training princ- basic training principles about uh, some examples would be specificity. So train for the, th- the thing that you're targeting train for that you know don't do track races for for trail don't do track training for trail running or don't do (laughs) trail training for track running um just as an example Um, but doing a track running to avoid trail racing is is actually a good strategy because a track season will have a race like every weekend i think it's good for you know developing your speed things like you know, you are going to stress yourself. You need, if you want to improve, you're going to need to stress yourself so that you can then push your, and all this is simple principles, but it's nicely explained. So yeah, I am going to have to, once in a while, I'm going to have to get very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And if you want that stress to work well, you need to recover properly. So you go, oh, yeah, that kind of all makes perfect sense, but it's really nicely laid out and explained in principles. And yeah, I rather like that. Mm-hmm. Me too. It always shocks me with some people in the club that, you know, we'll do a high speed uh, track effort and then we'll do a recovery jog. And then, you know, they're, they're much slower than I would be on the, on the, on the track while we're doing the session. And then when we do the recovery jog, they're really fast. Mm-hmm doing a recovery jog at the end and I can't, I can't keep up with them. Yeah. Going, this is not right. And I, I suspect those people are doing it the wrong way around a little bit. I'm probably putting in too much effort on the track, as you say, overexerting myself. But also I think maybe there are some people who are maybe not doing enough. Mm-hmm. And then they're Running able too to much in of, the middle. Yeah, middle they're zones. able to sort of do a medium jog in the recovery when and and I'm struggling along and then I look around and I find I'm with all of the faster people who are recovering much slower yeah who are all in trailing in the back <laughs> yeah and I go well this is kind of correct according to Mr. Daniels mm-hmm. thank you sir um I didn't really get the 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 entirely the difference between interval training and rep, repetition training in Jack Daniels I, okay, so one of them is faster than the other and and the yeah. distances are shorter. I think yeah. the repetitions are faster than the intervals and also shorter in terms of distance. But there's some overlap. So like when you, um, like I think, you know, a 400 meter rep, you can also do a 400 meter interval. I, that might be a bad example, but um Alan, you look like you're looking at the book, so maybe you can check. I'm looking but then, at my own notes. But then also um, the so like the paces will be slower if you're doing the interval than if you're doing the rep. And I think probably you'll also end up doing 
more um, in terms of, you know, more, um, more sequences of that. The primary purpose of repetition training is to improve anaerobic power, speed and economy of running. So that means it's probably the fastest. So it's faster than interval training. Because interval training, the idea of interval training, I think, is to improve lactic tolerance towards VO2 max, maximizing aerobic power. So interval training, according to Jack Daniels, can be longer, I think, in terms of uh, the actual session, because it can go up to five minutes, usually about two minutes. Okay, um, so I had the... I had the um... I had it in the right order. So the re the reps are faster, but a shorter yeah. amount of time yeah. with more recovery. Yeah. And the interval training. Yeah. So I might just delete all this bit and just keep your bit in because you explained it perfectly correctly. Okay. Should we um, move, move on, on to uh, 26.2 miles to happiness by Paul Tonkinson? Yep. Excellent. So um, this was a lot of fun because... Paul is uh, like a professional comedian and has also, you know, been on TV and uh, those kinds of things a lot in terms he of He has breakfast, his own podcast. Breakfast TV in the UK has his own podcast. So it was great for us because we just go, talk to us, Paul, and off he went. And uh, very little editing needed afterwards because of the, the way he was able to talk and sprinkling in stories and humor which he did throughout his book as well. That was a fun read, but clearly um, the guy's passionate about running mm -hmm. um, and dedicated to trying to, to, to run and the benefits that that gives. I think it provided a lot of stability for his life. Uh, his life as a, a stand-up comedian was a bit, um, it's, it's just, it's sort of like poor man's rock star, isn't it? It's sort of, it's not quite sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but it's you know long drives, alcohol, yeah. and sleep deprivation, yeah. which are not quite as good, are they? And I guess it's a big contrast to like what you want if you want to achieve a uh, a big goal. And um, Paul's big goal was a sub three hour marathon, and he actually knew he was going to write the book even before he ran the sub three hour marathon. So, mm -hmm. you know, would have been interesting if he didn't achieve the goal, but maybe that was extra motivation, actually. Maybe that's the secret. We should, okay, we need to draft a book. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, because, because his, his main theme throughout the story was his effort to eventually run a sub three hour marathon. And of course, we've been going on and on about trying to do that. We were kind of really bought into that book. Mm-hmm. Because all the way through the book, he, he actually talks you through little bits of the race that he's doing uh, in little sections, building up to sort of the climax where he gets near the end and he gets overtaken by the three-hour bunny and dropped by the three-hour bunny. And you think, oh, yeah. like, he's dead like, at that oh, point. Oh, no, that's it. Yeah. So there's like a fascinating sort of climax uh, building up as he goes through his his life and his training and, and then drops in sections of the race that he's doing. Uh, every soft's pretty nicely done from that point of view. And you see that he, he like, he tells you about the other things that he, uh, he did as well. You know, it's, it wasn't just the training, but he actually did change his training a bit. Like he mm -hmm. tried to push himself more in track workouts. And, you know, then there was also the non-training things like he was avoiding alcohol for a certain amount of time 
uh, during the training cycle. And I think he was trying to eat more healthy. So, and he was trying to, I think, run more kilometers, but he, yeah, he ended up putting in quite a bit of effort because uh, also some of the funny stories were really funny because he would go out for for dinner with his comedian friends who were not runners and they they thought that he had like some kind of financial problem because he wasn't he wasn't ordering alcohol (laughs) (laughs) so that was pretty funny um lots of lots of funny anecdotes there and it just kind of it's kind of just a reminder of what it's like to be in you know a runner in the normal society it's it's a bit like you know when you're with your colleagues who don't run and I don't know, like you go up for lunch or something and you're always kind of the weirdo that's like not having alcohol having a glass or of water and making uh, sure they have some salad, you know, and asking what's in this. <laughs> Is there any protein in this dish? Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty funny. It's full of those. I love that. Um, I also loved, you know, it seemed like the whole running and marathon sub three hour journey was transformational for for Paul, it seemed yeah. like it almost seemed like he was a different person at the end of the experience. I mean, I guess he was, mm-hmm. but um, you know, he, he just said, you know, just in terms of even, uh, he kind of made peace more with his past. So I found that kind of motivational. It's yeah, that was like- pretty. That was pretty, pretty interesting because he was he was sort of motivated. He had a sort of a mantra which was based out of anger mm-hmm. of how he was treated as a child. You have to read the book if you want to get all the detail on that and listen to the podcast because, in fact, we asked him, you know, a few pretty direct questions about what happened in his childhood. That was quite interesting because you, you, I was kind of thinking, well, how do you get something positive out of a negative? You know, I always think about mantras being you need to think positively, whereas he seemed to draw on his anger. I've heard of other people doing that. So I guess it's just whatever works for you because yeah. sometimes, you know, some people like when they're angry, they run better. I find it can do that, but only for about 10 seconds. Mm. You know, if you want to raise a sprint or something like that. Mm-hmm. After that, I think personally I get too tense. You know, my body tenses up with that kind of stress. Yeah, and me then too. Then I... You're not moving in the way you should be moving. Yeah, I run better in uh, in, my, in my happy place. Yeah, I think I think for, you know, to go, to go well and be efficient, I think I'm going to have to try and work on being zen and just be calm just let it flow that kind of stuff and then it'll get more tense towards the end no doubt when it gets for sure the hurt time especially if the three hour bunny passes us yeah yeah i'm going to swear then i'm going to say bye <laughs> and then i'm never going to see the three hour bunny again unlike paul who managed to like put his race back together uh yeah that that's impressive because yeah. I know what it's like when the race falls apart and usually oh. there is just no going back. I remember running a 3.10, 3 hours 10 and, and 40 seconds, I think I finished in. And the 3 hour 10 bunny passed me in the last kilometer. And as he as he went by, I thought, I'm not going to allow this. I'm in the last kilometer. I can dig and, and just, I can finish. I can just tag onto this guy and just finish ahead. And I couldn't do it. I ended up being 40 seconds behind me. It's no big deal, but I don't know how... What I'm saying with that is I don't know how he got the the energy or where he got it from. Yeah, yeah. So it is inspirational as well if you need a little inspiration. Yeah. But uh, it's it's really uh, full of funny anecdotes. So it's uh, I hear Paul's going to do a new book. He told us he's going to maybe dabble with ultra running. So fantastic. We'll certainly be on that when it comes out. I'll be I'd be very keen to talk to Paul again. 
Yeah, especially if he uh, does like trail ultra running. I want. I, I wonder if he, you know, is he like me and worries about all the roots and stuff, and... or or is he um, more like you and he finds that very, you know, adventuresome. Adventuresome, yeah. <laughs> Not like me, like most people. This, like most people. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying not to be the oddball, but I guess I am the oddball. Okay, on to the next book. Finding Gobi by Dion Leonard. I love this story. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this book, you really read this I, book. Not, I thought you not, were just going to, when I said Finding Gobi by Dion Leonard, I thought you were going to go, yay, yay. Gobi. <laughs> I love Gobi. Okay, so the book is about running because basically Dion went to China to run one of those multi-day stage races where you have to carry all your stuff for the duration of the race and that's including your food so the only thing that the race provides is water yeah which in itself like so i've see, since kind of been um following a a youtube channel um with jeff peltier who is like a canadian living in bc and he's been doing several of these races uh organized by is it called racing the planet or race the planet something something along those lines and it's just it's unreal because like you need to be able to pack all these things into a backpack that you can carry and run with for like five six days whatever the duration of the event so anyway so that's... I think the most famous one is the Marathon des Sables. Yes, isn't it? Uh, yeah, because I think that's the first one I've ever. Yeah, so Sahara. So this one that uh, Dion did was in the Gobi Desert in China. Yeah, and during the race, there was a little dog that started following him, and you know, cue the oh, because you know, like. Yeah, but he, he didn't want. He, think that's really. He cute. was hard nosed at the time. <laughs> he sort of went through a transformation, didn't he? Over he the, did of the, the sort of race almost, because uh, he was quite hard nosed, and he even says in the book that he doesn't really like running, or he didn't really like running. <laughs> he just yeah. he liked competing. He liked racing against people and trying to beat people. So he's pretty hard nosed about his competitiveness, um, and then he has this cute little dog following him. And he has to stop and go back and like pick him up and cross the river again with him because the dog couldn't cross the river because it was too dangerous and the dog was barking because he couldn't follow Dion. Anyway, super cute story. You know, then the fact that Dion ended up, you know, just falling in love with the dog so much that he he ended up going back to try and adopt him and um, yeah, just everything that it meant. I mean, he ended up, uh, he needed like an extended leave from his job because uh, in China they have a bunch of rules about um, about dogs that are not, uh, um, you know, the, this dog was a stray, so had no vaccination records or anything. So he had to like go through all that. He had to stay for, I don't know, three months in, in China while all this happened. And just the way that everybody kind of came together to help make this happen once the story came out in the news I mean, it was just, you know, it was just such a great feel-good story. I think you'll like it for the, you know, it's it starts off purely running. He explains how he got into ultra running, and even his um, his wife is a, an ultra runner as well. But they just didn't compete always in the same races, um, and it was actually 
his wife that got into running first and he got into running later, which, uh, which is interesting and in that he, you know, he kept on running, even though he doesn't really like running, he just likes competing. I mean, that's pretty amazing in itself because he does some amazing things. Um, but the, the, the story about Gobi. I think the amazing thing about Gobi was Gobi, she, she latched onto Dion when Dion wasn't necessarily the most amenable towards dogs. Mm-hmm. She decided he was the guy yeah, um, and just kept with him. She's a tiny little dog, sort of a, was it a Shih Tzu Chihuahua cross and probably a cold weather dog and ran through the desert following him mm-hmm. and eventually sort of won, his, won her way into his heart to the yeah. extent that he gave up his chance to win the race in order to look after her during the run, um, which was kind of against his his nature personality almost. Yeah, yeah against his personality you know and he said to us at the time that the thing was completely transformational for him you know the power of kindness and teamwork and all those sorts of things were just all brought home to him through through this dog and mm-hmm. and the big thing that we kind of didn't mention now is that he had to go home without the dog because it was quarantined and it, then it got lost and he then came back to China to look for the dog, hence the finding Gobi. And the chances of finding it must have been theoretically quite Tiny. small. It's a big place. But again, all these people got together um, after hearing the story and they just, um, they invested their time into helping helping Dion find Gobi. Yeah. And people donated money to help, you know, um, Dion stay in China pay all the medical bills and, you know, the, the quarantine and whatever else he had to pay for the plane tickets. I mean, it was like, this was definitely a, a team effort to bring Gobi to the, to the UK. Yeah. His story was picked up by the, um, by one of the national newspapers in the UK. They must've had like a, a quiet news day or something. So they picked up on this story and they published the fact that I think at the time he'd raced, he'd found the dog and then he'd lost the dog and he was going back to look for the dog. And then it touched the heartstrings of everybody. And then all the mm-hmm. TV programs wanted to interview him and he ended up like becoming almost a celebrity going off to look for this dog. And was he going to find it? And then, oh, he's found it. And uh, and now he's on, he's on like a talk circuit where mm-hmm. he goes and gives presentations to uh to to corporate and then to children and he's written a children's version of the book and a youth's version yep. of the book mm-hmm. um, so your whole family can read this book yeah it's, it's, so it's great got, it's got some nice messages in there and we actually got to meet Gobi on on video on chat but we got to meet him on screen Her, mm-hmm. oh i'm almost saying because i have a dog that's that's, that's a, a male yeah i'm almost saying him yeah we got to meet her on screen which was pretty cute i'm just sad that i didn't keep the recording of your reaction when <laughs> goby was on the screen but it basically went like this oh oh, the, oh goby oh she's so cute that's probably that's do you yeah think that's a fair uh that might that might be fair yes yeah you know you know it's really unfair though you know you have like like people like me that are googly eyed over all the furry things. And then you yeah. have people like Dion who just basically ignore the little balls of fluff. And those are the ones that the, that, that get, you know, that they get, get attached the attention. to. Yeah. They get You're... the attention. I'm like, I'm like, come here, I'm going to give you some treats. And like, 
nothing. Mm. And then Dion, he goes and he completely ignores Gobi and Gobi's like, oh, oh, I need to win this guy over. <laughs> you're really talking about the cat that you're babysitting at the moment. I, I am actually, yeah, because I'm kind <laughs> of jealous because this cat I'm babysitting, um, like, I'm so happy to have another cat in the house. And the cat, like Andre, my partner, he's, you know, so I clean the litter box, I give him treats. Um, you know, like I am all googly eyed over him. I take his picture 15 times a day, uh, mostly to send to the owner, not for me, of course, it's to yeah. send to the owner. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> um, and then, and then what happens? The cat is sleeping on Andre's side of the bed. And I mean, he definitely loves Andre more than he loves me. And I'm just like, no, come here. I want to give you love. Fair about that. <laughs> It's not fair at all. It's okay. I still love him anyway, but it's very unfair how life is that way. If it's any <laughs> consolation, you should have dogs. That's that's the answer. Uh, if any consolation, my dog Killian loves you. Oh, that's true. He does. He's happy to see me at least. This cat, although he he does greet me at the door when I come home. So I guess that's something. But um, yeah, when Andre's around, he definitely goes for Andre. Sleeps on his side of the bed. Very unfair. And so he risks getting kicked on that side of the bed too. This on is my the cat, side, Tony. Tony, Tony the, the cat. Yeah. You're going to write a book called Finding Tony. <laughs> yeah, it would need to be named something else. We we are hoping that Finding Gobi will be a film. Yes. Soon. Yes, that's what we learned during the uh, the interview. Yeah, there seems to be some serious undertakings to making it into a film and make a pretty good film, I think. Yeah, and we we learned that actually when they make films with dogs. They actually have several dogs that look the same. Yeah, it's not like a, one dog. They have like five of them. Yeah, I was so going to say three. But yeah, that, that's interesting. I didn't know that. That must be really hard, though, because, you know, trying to find one dog that looks like Gobi, okay. But now you have to find like five dogs that look like Gobi, and then you have to train them all. That's um, That's a serious challenge. I don't know. It's outside of my, uh, if you want to do a podcast on dog training, <laughs> you're probably going to have to get somebody else to do it with you, Liz. Yeah, no, I don't know anything about dog training, so um, I won't be starting that podcast. You went to uh, puppy school with Killian, though. You should did, be an yeah. expert. I did. I went to puppy school with Killian, yeah. Yeah, he graduated, but only just <laughs> from puppy school. Yeah. There, were, there were a couple of good things that we did, but you, you have to keep you have to keep on top of them. Trouble is, we're too soft. Hmm. I'm always like giving him a little bit of food from my dinner plate or something, you know. And you don't make him work for it, I guess. That's actually my sister has a dog, and she told me that she said that um, I, you you're supposed to make the dog work for whatever you're giving him. So, like, even if you're giving him something from your plate, but you know, should have to. Like, yeah, give otherwise, him the, the dog something. thinks he's king of the house. You know, you can just <laughs> command. I command you to give me all your food. He, but Killian probably needs to go and get some more training because uh, he has too much energy. Maybe he needs to start running. He gets two work, two walks a day. He's he like oh. he's doing like five to seven k per day. Oh wow! Okay. And you know he's this. He's it's this not size. enough. He's tiny. You think he'd just be exhausted most of the time, but no, he wants to play in between times. <laughs> so. uh, enough about enough about our pets and uh, other our people's substitute pets. pets yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that we have at our houses. Um, so the last book that it's we... Uh, Purpose by Jim Weber. Yes. 
Jim Weber, who is a CEO of Brooks Running Company. Mm-hmm. Again, a bit of a different book. It's quite a bit about management uh, of a running company and somebody who's clearly passionate about running, sports first of all, and then running, but also passionate about um, uh, leadership, I guess, management management and leadership. Mm-hmm. For me, a very interesting book because, you know, I worked in, in management so and, and I read a lot of management books. I was a bit of a student of, of my job as well as trying to do my job. So it was nice to read, you know, his philosophy and his strategies and uh, his approach to developing a business and the risks he took and, you know, the sort of values that he wanted to have within Brooks and s- stuff like that, uh, how he developed the, some of the uh, sales strategies, big risk-taking with dropping a lot of volume mm-hmm. um, to focus just on specialist like running. Like high quality. Yeah, so that was pretty interesting. Yeah. We couldn't get Jim to come on and talk to us. I was sad about that because I wanted to get his views on a few things. So it's a shame we couldn't get him on because I think it would have been fun to ask him about what is he doing with super shoes? Is Are they in development? Mm-hmm. And how's he, you know, those kind of things. Yeah, I feel like there's got to be something in the works there because they, they, according to the book, they have a research department. So, and they've had a research department for years. So I'm thinking that something's going to, come out of that in the super shoe i mean they have a super shoe but it's not it's it's not exactly as um not exactly as uh as often worn um yeah, in races as, as the other ones does it? yeah it's not, and it's not what they're known for no I, I, and their other shoes are really popular so it's yeah. just goes to show you like there's something that they didn't get right i guess in this first iteration but it will be interesting to see what they do come up with yeah because one thing that they don't do is they don't just necessarily just follow the lead of somebody else mm-hmm. they'll try and base whatever they're doing on some some of their values and also some of their research like the minimalist craze that they didn't really follow yeah yeah i i thought um it was actually proof that CEOs should kind of stay more long-term in a company. I find like oftentimes, I mean, you do have companies that have CEOs that were basically the founders and then obviously they're still CEO, but you know, there are a lot of companies that, you know, the CEO changes all the time. It's like, they're not in it for the long-term and sometimes, sometimes, you know, their short-term thinking, well, I guess short-sighted. <laughs> yeah, it's it's profit at any cost or win at all mm-hmm. costs. Um, yeah. And not so much let's develop a culture that is going to ensure the long-term sustainability of the company. Yeah, and also like where do we want to go long-term? Because oftentimes, you know, to make long-term plans, you're making some kind of investment, but that investment won't have a return in the next two years, let's say, which is something that I find a lot of companies do. Like I, uh, I worked for one company at one point that um, I was a student job when I was um, studying in university. And so uh, I worked in this uh, group that took care of sort of analyzing uh, potential projects and the return on investment had to be like one to two years maximum. Um, they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't prioritize a project that um, that had you know a longer horizon than that. And the thing is, a lot of the equipment that needed to be changed it was equipment that would last. You know, you buy the equipment; it's expensive. It's not going to pay off in the first one to two years. But the equipment lasts. You know, 
20 years. Uh, but they don't, they didn't care about that. They would, they would do in those cases, if the equipment was too expensive, they would decide to outsource. And the thing is outsourcing long-term, well, it's usually more expensive. And also the, you know, you have less control over quality and stuff. So anyway, I thought that running with purpose was interesting. It was like the opposite of the, the experience I had in that company. It was, um, you know, Jim really, like he had in his mind that it was going to be a billion dollar brand. 20 years ago and yeah, he made no it one, into a billion dollar he's brand ridiculous and yeah he goes he's there yeah took him 11 years not 10 but that's a fantastic achievement mm -hmm. yeah so i mean i could say a lot about uh in terms of you know why companies sometimes make the decisions they do i have some views on a lot of that stuff i mean one of the reasons they don't invest in equipment is sometimes cash flow you know, you got to put all that 15 years worth of money for a piece of equipment you got to put that up front so if you, mm. if you don't have that, even though you get 15 years worth of life out of it, what are you going to do? From yeah. a profitability point of view, you can amortize it. So your books only take an expense of one fifteenth of it throughout the year. But um, that's not going to help you if you don't have all that money to put down. Uh, but let's not get into it. We're doing running. Huh? Running. Let's not, do, let's not do management. We can do manage. I can talk to you more about management while we're training. Okay. <laughs> so that that was our tenth book. So that that sort of completes the book. So out of the ten books, what, what um? So what was your favorite book, or what what struck you the most? What did um, you like the best? Well, so I really like training books. So I I definitely liked Run Like, like a Pro, else. Daniels. Yeah, I'm like everybody else. I mean, just follow the herd. Um, the Marathon Training Guide. Uh, I do like, I do like the stories. They, you know, they teach me a lot of things like, um, like I never heard of park run, but I guess I, I tend to gravitate towards the training books because usually then there's something that I can calculate and try and use in my own training after. Uh, whereas stories for me are more like inspirational, you know, they just kind of uh, like, it's, it's fun reading them. And usually like, then you go out for a few runs while you're reading this book mm -hmm. and you just feel like kind of inspired to yeah. to view your training positively um, because you just read about uh, some crazy story that could have happened at park run and you laughed at basically yourself <laughs> through that reading because you know runners are kind of like a bit of a special breed so it's always kind of fun to to read those uh, the storybooks. I think it's easy to get the most learning out of the training books. I think once you've read uh, once you've read a few training books, you get less and less learning out of a training book. You go, okay, I can see they're going about this bit of it this way or this way. Mm -hmm. But there's always something. So there's always something you could do. Oh, I could do that instead. Um, we've just we've just read a book. Um, we haven't done the podcast yet, so I won't say which book it is. But we'll. We've just read a book where we said, oh, those exercises are cool because um, they're easy to do. We need an easy way of doing the exercises mm -hmm. we, know, we know that we should do. There's always something with the, with the sort of training books. The motivation books, I think you've got to sprinkle those in. So you've got to get you got to get your dose of motivation as well from mm -hmm. from from something like twenty six point two miles to happiness. I found that extremely motivating because the guy was trying to run a three hour marathon all the way through the book. So yeah, I found yeah. that particularly uh, 
pertinent to us and our challenge. Yes, I definitely like that one. And that format that he used where he kind of sprinkled in the marathon throughout the whole book. But um, I really liked uh, One Last Mile because it, I, you know, I got so attached to the characters. I was kind of like, you know, I wanted to get home after the long run so I could finish reading the book to see what happens at the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, I don't want to ruin the ending, but then, you know, when he has to like run to his, uh, his race at the end, that was like, I don't know. I was, I was so kind of worried Captured. that he would miss it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So I, I really, I, I got, I really got into that one um because because it was just it was like a novel i mean it is a novel it's all fiction but the short stories are fun because they're kind of like a little dose so you like you read a little story you laugh about it or you're entertained and you can go for a run and sometimes remember the story on your run but but having the the novel it was kind of like it was almost like i wanted to come home so i could just continue reading the story because i was you know so it was a good sign that you've got a good book for for you when that happens yeah when you have your partner or somebody near you say hey are you reading again look we need to <laughs> that's a good sign that you've got a good book mm -hmm. i did like running with purpose because it was kind of different it was a really different um spin on running it was a running brand you know i kind of was interested to see how they sort of rose to the powerhouse that they are now because you know i remember in my high school so high school was the 90s um the the big running brands were like asics asics was really there yeah um maybe some new balance um but those were kind of like if you went into a running store those were the brands i remember but i wasn't really a big shoe geek back then or anything but those are the brands that you kind of saw on a lot of runners feet and brooks is a powerhouse now, but I didn't really know when that happened exactly. Mm. So now we know when and how, which is really interesting. And yeah, how it recent threw, it, it is. It threw me back a little bit to uh, memories of one of our very early books, Kicks, Kicksology, which talked about development of running shoes. So it was like, what's going on within companies and how did this happen? Mm -hmm. Sort of a bit of corporate sort of development. It was kind of cool. Yeah. Okay, so 50, uh, 50 books in, 50 books done. On to the next 10. Yeah, onwards and upwards. Are we running out of books? No. We're not, are we? <laughs> <laughs> no, because people keep writing them. So, yeah. you know, keep on writing them and we will keep on reading them and we will keep on trying to have... Uh... Keep on podcasting them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of Running Book Reviews. If you'd like to leave us some feedback about how we can improve the podcast or want to suggest a book that you'd like us to review in future episodes, please leave us a comment on social media. We are Running Book Reviews on Facebook and Instagram and on Twitter we are Reviews underscore Running. Please also follow us on social media to find out about new episodes when they are released or you can just subscribe to the podcast on your favorite streaming platform. Before we go... Liz, we need to tell people about Buy Me A Coffee. I'm always forgetting to tell people. We're running book reviews and now on Buy Me A Coffee. 
the easiest way probably to find us is just go to the general buy me a coffee website and type in search running book reviews now buy me a coffee mm -hmm. will pop up there you can leave us a small donation to buy us a coffee uh, we appreciate any help we can get to just cover our expenses for this podcast i've also been leaving the link in the um, in the episode notes mostly unless i run out of room and I, I have to delete it at the end okay that's excellent i have a character limit so that's all from us for now you bye for now to, you just need to sing the outro song I'm not I'm not singing the outro song. Okay then bye. Bye. I'm not falling for that one. Oh sing the song. You're nodding the <laughs> you're nodding your head, but you're not singing the song. This this would be a funny a funny video to post. <laughs> I have I have the video recorded. Maybe I'll keep that. Uh, Play the song. <laughs> I'm playing it. It's in my head. <laughs> I just noticed actually my my t-shirt. It matches the color of the wall behind me. It does. Yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> perfectly camouflaged. Can't see you. <laughs> All you see is my head. <laughs> okay. Okay.